following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or maybe it's even good evening for you. My name is Jordan. I'm the lead pastor here at Community Gospel Church, and we are so excited that you could be here with us for our Palm Sunday message. This week, we have almost a dozen people getting baptized, and we realize that time is fleeting, and we, wouldn't, we didn't want to do a disservice to the message, so we wanted to present the message and give it to you from Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through 11, so that you could be able to view this at any time. So if you have a Bible or an electronic device that has a Bible on it, go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through 11. Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through 11. You know, Kevin DeYoung said, the one indispensable requirement for producing godly, mature believers is godly, mature believers. As we look at the book of Matthew, we realize that Matthew was a disciple, and he was following Jesus Christ, and he knew that in order to make disciples, in Matthew chapter 28, for the people who are following Jesus Christ, they had to strive to become like Jesus. And so, as we look at this passage here this morning, we have to ask ourselves the question, do we strive to be mature believers? Are we striving to become more like Christ in our everyday endeavors. You see, we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior when we confess our sin, when we repent of our sin, and believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us it is for by grace that we have been saved through faith. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. And so when we look at coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, many of us understand repentance. Many of us understand what it means to follow after Jesus in faith. But we have to ask ourselves the question, are we striving to become mature believers? And that is our endeavor today. As you open up to the book of Matthew, you're probably wondering, what is the book of Matthew? Maybe you've opened up the Bible many times, or maybe this is the first time you've had the opportunity to see this book. Well, Matthew is in the New Testament. It is part of a collection of books called the Gospel. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these are the Gospel, which means the good news of Jesus, that He came, that He died, and that He rose again, and that you can have faith, that you can have a relationship with God through faith in Christ. Matthew is our author, and this book was composed roughly uh, A.D. 60 to 65. So we're about 60 years past when Jesus died on the cross. Matthew was written by a man. His name was Matthew, but his previous name was Levi. He is an ex-tax collector who left his profession to follow Jesus. Jesus looked at Matthew one day when he was sitting in his tax booth, and he says, Levi, which was his original name, and he says, come and follow me in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. And he does that. He is so changed by following Jesus Christ. What we realize is that he invites all of his pagan friends back to his house, and he says, I want you to experience the same change that I have experienced. 
Matthew is a Jew, and so he writes to his fellow Jews, but he also writes to us as Gentiles today too as well. He quotes from more than 50 Old Testament prophets, and he strives to prove that Jesus truly is Israel's and ours long-awaited Messiah. Matthew answers some really big questions for us if we look at his book as a whole. And that is, he, he answers the question where God's promised kingdom is. And that uh, where God's promised kingdom will reside. He also tells us what we are to do as Christ's church and who we are as Christ's church. Anyone who confesses and believes that Jesus Christ is Lord is adopted into the family of God. Anyone who claims that Jesus Christ really truly is the Messiah is adopted into the family of God. And so we realize that Matthew is showing us that the Old Testament and the promises of God are true, all in Jesus Christ. And as we look at this, we realize this book is phenomenal, but because it's one uh, person who was an average person, who was working an average job, Jesus comes and he calls him and he says, follow me. And he says, I want you to follow me and I want you to mature in our relationship. And I want you to see that I have plans for you, that I have a purpose for you. The same that was true about Matthew can be true about you. God wants a relationship with you through faith and trust in Christ. But he also wants you to mature in that relationship too as well so that we have the opportunity to show people the gospel that we have accepted. As we mature in that gospel, we also have the opportunity to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. Now, we probably wonder, what has happened and transpired leading up to chapter 21? Well, leading up to this chapter, Matthew's already given an account of Jesus' birth. He's shown us his upbringing a little bit, his earthly ministry, and also showed us that Jesus was and is the long-awaited Messiah. And he is a fulfillment of the Old Testament. However, in order for Jesus to really truly fulfill that role, he has to die. People thought that he was going to do other things before that. They thought he was going to be a political ruler. They thought he was going to take care of oppression. They thought he was going to take care of all of their hardship. But Jesus had already identified and articulated that he has to die first. He needs to die. And so we realize that Jesus is headed to Jerusalem and it is Palm Sunday. And so what he is doing is he's saying, before I am going to be crucified, I have to enter into the city and I have to do some certain things before those things become uh, manifest or known to you. And in these specific verses, verse 1 through 11, what we see here is there are four traits of all believers. There are four traits of all believers in Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so let's go ahead and let's open up uh, God's Word, if you haven't already. Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through 11. And let's read the first uh, five verses and see if we can see those four traits. And let's ask ourselves the question, are these traits... Uh, identifiers of you? Are these traits things that you're striving for? What can we work on in regards to these four traits? And if we don't have these four traits, how can we come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 says this. Now, when they uh, drew near, and the word they is speaking about uh, Jesus and his disciples as they're together, they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, and then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says, 
anything to you, you should just say, the Lord needs it, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what the prophet Zechariah was saying. Say to the daughter of Zion, which is Israel, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Well, let's pause there for just a second, and let's look at the very first trait that we see coming out in the disciples of Christ. One of the first traits that we need as mature believers in Jesus Christ. And again, you become a believer in Jesus Christ through faith and trusting in Christ. And the first trait that we see here in Matthew chapter 21, 1 through 5, is we have to open our ears to what God has to say to us. In chapter 20, verse 29 through 34, Jesus has already healed two blind men. And now the disciples are approaching from Jerusalem on the east side from Jericho. Bethpage is very close to the Mount of Olives. And from Bethpage, Jesus sent the disciples to a little town a mile away called Bethany. So when he says in that passage, the village in front of you, he's speaking of that. Now, Bethany is very near and dear to Jesus' heart because it's the home of multiple friends of his. We see Mary's there and Martha's there and Lazarus is there where he stayed with his disciples in John chapter 11. Now, as we look at open ears, we wonder what are our ears supposed to be open to? What were the disciples in this time period, what were their ears open to? Well, the first thing we see in regards to Jesus' three commands is go. Jesus says, go. And when he says, go, we need to listen carefully to the rest of the commands. Sometimes we jump the gun when Jesus says, go, and we have to be careful because God does want us to go. He wants us to do specific things, but they have to be in alignment with his word. Here he says, go. And what I want you to do is I want you to do certain things. Is the go here for the disciples the same as us? Well, no, because we understand that the go here is for them to do a specific thing for Jesus to lead up to his crucifixion. For us, though, if we look at Matthew in regards to context, in in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, it very specifically says, you, though, are to go as my disciples to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus is telling his disciples this, but we know this extends past the disciples to any followers of Jesus. We're all called and commanded to go and make disciples of all nations, declaring boldly the gospel that we have believed. In Peter, he says, I want you to give an answer for anybody who asks you for the hope in which you have. And so what we realize here is that Jesus tells us, I want you to teach all that I have observed and I have commanded you, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. Bold, clear disciples of Jesus Christ are commanded to go and do two things. Number one, we're called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We call this evangelism. We're called to share this to people who don't have a relationship with God and ask them into the family of God through faith. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you trust Jesus Christ today? Would you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today? Would you repent of your sins, realize you're a sinner, and that God wants a relationship with you? Now, the other thing we're called to do in regards to go is to teach and uh, teach people to observe all the commands of God. We call this edification in regards to building up the church. And that's why we preach and teach God's word at Community Gospel Church and churches preach and teach God's word all over the world. And what we realize here is that Jesus says, when you do those two things, when you go and you share the gospel, when you go and you teach people what they need to know according to uh, the word of God, 
you will have the opportunity to realize that that is where God lives. That is where God resides. So the first command of Jesus is go. It is a command to the disciples here in chapter 21, but it's also a command to us, the disciples and followers of Christ who are trusting in faith. The second command, he says, is I want you to get. I want you to get something, okay? And here, he says, I want you to get a colt. Now, all four of the Gospels include this thing that we call the triumphal entry. And only though Matthew talks about a donkey with a colt, which highlights a prophecy that was given in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Zechariah's prophecy said that the Messiah would come in a gentle manner. He said that he would come riding on a colt, a foal, or a son of a donkey. Now, this is interesting because this is not normally how kings would arrive. They often rode horses. They often uh, wanted prestige and power. But here we see that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. What Zechariah is highlighting here is that Jesus will come as the Prince of Peace. These disciples were called to get a specific thing for Jesus. We are called to go and to get other disciples, to bring people into the family of God, but we're also called to go and to get people on board in regards to following the will, word, and ways of God. Are you pointing to God in regards to your everyday relationships? Are you pointing to God with everything that you say and everything that you do? Are you pointing to God in regards to the places in which you populate? You know, God calls us to go. But he also calls us to get people back into the family of God. Is your life pointing back to being a follower of Jesus Christ? If you're a believer of the way, the truth, and the life, then what we realize is our opportunity and our obligation is to get people on the same page as God wants us in regards to his word. The third command that we see here is to tell. And it's a culmination of all those other things. So what we see here, that Jesus has the right to request whatever he needs. But here it shows how we go. We go in his name. We go to do his work. And we go to tell of his needs, not our own. In Matthew chapter 28, going back to that, in 19 and 20, the disciples of Christ tell others in order to get disciples. Jesus' three commands here are very simple. I want you to go. I want you to get. And I want you to tell. May your life be a declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ in which you have received. You know, uh, Lauren Cunningham once said, hearing God isn't all that difficult. If we know the Lord, we've already heard his voice. After all, it was the inner leading that brought us to him in the first place. But we can hear his voice and still miss his best if we don't keep on listening. After that, uh, after the what of guidance comes the when and the how. God is still speaking to us today. His commands are still in effect to go and to get and to tell. Do you know the Lord? Have you heard his voice calling to you? Maybe it's to come to him for the first time in a relationship. Maybe it's him saying, I want you to trust in me through faith. Well, Matthew left everything and he followed Jesus Christ. The question on the table is, have you? What about us who are already following the Lord? What about us who are already uh, disciples of Christ? Well, are we continuing to listen to him, church? Well, God could speak audibly to people today. That's a sermon for another day. He primarily speaks to us through his written word, the Bible. And sometimes God's leading can come through the Holy Spirit, through our consciousness, through our circumstances, through the counsel of other people. By comparing what we hear To truth of scripture, we can learn to recognize God's voice. And thus, we have a choice on whether or not we will obey it. 
So the more that we study God's word, the more time that we spend in scripture, the more we hear the voice of God. And now we have to realize that our opportunity and our obligation is to obey that truth. Think about what would have happened if the disciples wouldn't have listened to Jesus here. Think about what would have happened if the disciples wouldn't have open ears. Are your ears open to what God is saying to you? Well, let's keep going in the text. In verse 6, it's really interesting here. He says, the disciples went and they did exactly what Jesus had directed them. Well, we pause here for just a second and we realize the next trait of a mature believer in Jesus Christ. It's not just open ears, but it's also obedience in regards to where our hands and feet walk on where our hands and feet, uh, where our feet walk and where our hands find work to do. The key part to that uh, verse six is that the two, the two disciples went, they put into action what Jesus had said. It's one thing to know the word of God. It's another thing to put it in action. Now, they went to Bethany and found the donkey just as Jesus had directed them. Imagine that. Jesus says something and it comes true. All the promises of God come true. Webster defines obedience as simply this. Obedience is the act or instance of obeying. It is the quality or state of being obedient. It is submissive to the resistant or the restraint or command of authority. I love the last part of this where he says it is the willingness to obey. Are we willing to obey what God's word says? You know, God's word sometimes leads us to a path where we look at it and we say, I don't know if you know what you're doing, Jesus. And he says, I know exactly what I'm doing. Sometimes God frustrates our plans. Sometimes God looks at us and says, I want you to go to this specific place. And we think to ourselves, I really hope you know what you're doing. And God says, I always know what I'm doing. Furthermore, the definition of obedience is uh, submissive to the restraint or command of authority. It's the willingness to obey. It's putting feet to words. It is acting on what we believe. If you were to come into this room right now, you would see that there are chairs all over the place. And every time you sit down on that chair, you're putting your trust in the fact that it will hold you up. People don't come into rooms and look at chairs underneath of them and make sure that the structure is sound enough to hold them up. They just do it. It's amazing that we put our faith in so many things every single day, but we fail sometimes to put our faith and trust in God's words. And so what we do sometimes is we only have partial obedience. We only look at some of that word and we'll obey. I'll obey half of it. And what we realize is that partial obedience is disobedience. If we love the Lord, we'll obey him. We'll put feet to our faith and trust. If we say we love God through faith in Christ, then our feet must walk in the truth our head holds. Obedience to God's command makes us light and salt in the dark and tasteless words. Friend, let me just tell you something. Remember Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16? He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What Jesus is saying here to us, to you, is that I want you to put into action what you know to be true. And truth, my friends, is in, found in God's word. In his Bible, it's his love letter to us. As you read it, as you study it, we have to put our feet into action. We have to put our hands into doing diligence. We have to do these things so that we can understand that God wants our best for us. Well, let's keep going. Let's look at verse 7 and 8. First two traits, open ears, obedient hands and feet. 
Verse 7 says this, They brought the donkey and the colt, and they put on, the, put them, uh, put on them excuse me, their cloaks and sat on and he, Jesus, sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, but, uh, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. Now let's pause here for a second and wonder, what is going on here? What is happening here? Well, I think this should have been the first trait, but in the story, it's the third. And here what we see is there are surrendered hearts. Since the cold had never, ever been ridden in Mark chapter 11, verse 2, there's no saddle for it. And the disciples throw their cloaks on the colt's back, making a seat for Jesus. In this action, what they're doing is they're saying, Jesus, we believe that you are majestic. If we study the passage in context, in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13, cloaks were spread out for King Jehu. And so they're doing the same thing that they know to be true in regards to their Jewish roots. You are our king, and here we are going to put our possessions out for you. The crowds also started to gather. It is believed that they were gathering about a mile outside of Jerusalem. Here is this Jesus. Here he comes, our uh, one who is going to save us from political oppression. But little did they know that he had to die first. They thought he was going to be a liberator. And so what they do is they spread their cloaks on the road. They give Jesus their personal possessions for him to ride over. And those people who didn't have anything, what they did is they went and they cut branches from the trees. These branches could have come from big trees or olive trees. We learned that in John chapter 12. And what this verse is doing is it's showing that Jesus' glory is being recognized on earth. It is exactly why we celebrate Palm Sunday and where we see the followers give with their hands, give with their hand to him out of the overflow of their heart. See, the disciples offer Jesus out of a surrendered heart their obedience. These people, uh, the true followers of Jesus Christ, are surrendering their possessions over to Jesus Christ. I want you to have everything. Augustine said, where your pleasure is, there your treasure is. And where your treasure is, there your heart is. And where your heart is, there is your happiness. If we look at this in regards to being a believer in Jesus Christ, we surrender our heart and our life over to the Lord because we know that there is nothing good that we can do to get to God. God had to come to us in the form of Jesus Christ. And he is our pleasure. He is our treasure. He is where our heart is because he has renewed our heart. He has transformed our heart. The old is gone. The new has come, the Bible tells us. God has given us a new heart when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This, friend, is called justification. It is the first response that we have to God. It is when we say, God, I can't get to you. You came to me, and so therefore I confess of my sin, and I believe that I'm a sinner. Be the Savior that I know you are. And he does that. And when God comes in and he does a great work in us, we realize there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We realize that now we live as living sacrifice, Paul says, out of these surrendered hearts. A surrendered heart should be number one. We're designed to give God his glory, to live for his image, for his pleasure. And so there's two applications that come out of here in regards to what a surrendered heart would look like. As we look at these two applications, I would just ask you if you have done these things. And if you have done these things, are you living in light of these things, as the Bible says, as we see the day approaching? The first thing is, back to the fact, if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ, a surrendered heart comes from giving our life to Christ. It's when we place our faith and trust in Christ. He gives us the Holy Spirit to live in us. 
He gives, uh, when we give our heart and our life to Christ, it means that we no longer do what we want, but we do what he wants. We follow his word, not our own word. We find places to populate that he would be glorified where we are at, not where we would be glorified. It is when we realize that the kingdom of God has come and it is for us. And God wants a relationship with us. Corey Tenboom said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. Have you done that? Have you put your faith and trust in a known God, one who has revealed himself to us? The evidence is very clear. Friend, I would just ask you right now, what is stopping you from, come, from coming to surrender your heart to Jesus Christ? Now, I know so many of us have done that. So many of us have placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But here's the problem. We still have idols that are set up. We still have things in our life that we look at and we haven't surrendered our life fully to Christ because we're still living for things and material possessions and maybe it's a relationship or something of this world. And so if you've surrendered your heart over to the Lord, then we strive to eliminate that which prevents us from maturing in our walk with Christ. In the Gospels, Jesus calls this radical amputation. After we give our heart to Christ, we submit ourselves daily over to him. We realize that this is when we spend time praying to God. We seek his face. We study his word. We participate in being in the local church, in the fellowship of believers. This is how we mature in our understanding of how to please God. This is the process of sanctification. This is when we mature in our relationship with Christ. In Luke chapter 9, we see it says, If anyone would come after me, he has to deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Jesus says, I want you to surrender your heart to me. The path that God wants for us is often different than the one that we want or our friend wants or our family wants. It's our choice between the broad and the narrow road in Matthew chapter 7. Friend, let me just tell you something. The more you destroy your earthly idols, the more you'll realize your heart is surrendered to the Lord, the more you'll realize how clearly the path will be open where your hands and feet uh, need to walk on. And the more that you will hear the voice of God, the more that we surrender our hearts to the Lord, the more we realize that the voice of God becomes so clear. Our path to finding purpose, our path to finding joy, our path to finding peace, our path to eliminating frustration, anxiety, Cares and concerns can all be found when we cast them on the cross of Christ. If you haven't surrendered your heart to the Lord, do so today for the first time. For those of you who have, destroy your idols. Surrender yourself to the Lord fully and see what life is like when it is lived in adoration and worship for all God has done for us. Well, the story doesn't stop there. It's got one more piece to it. And if we look at Matthew chapter 21, verse 9, we realize that it says, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The last trait that we see of a mature believer in Jesus Christ. Open ears, obedient hands and feet, surrendered hearts. And now we get to words that proclaim. See, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The crowds here are categorized as multitudes. And they chant Hosea. And they're getting that from Psalm chapter 118, verse 25. Hosanna essentially just means save now. However, there's some people in the crowds that might be using the words hallelujah, and there's other people in the crowds who are using the words son of David. 
See, there's essentially a few different types of people who quote unquote believe in Jesus. Some people just believe in regards to knowledge because some people understand Jesus could be the savior. And so what they're doing is they're following suit in regards to Passover traditions. This is what I think I'm supposed to say. Some people are looking at it and they're questioning this and they're still on the concern side. They're still on the questioning side. They don't really have true faith. But then there's some people here who are distinguishing themselves uh, by being true believers on one thing that they're saying. There's one way that we see here in the text. There's one thing that we see that distinguishes those who doubt or those who just have a head knowledge of who Jesus is with those who are starting to have that radical transformed heart. And this is it. The believers are claiming this is the son of David. See, the people who truly believe Christ is Messiah called him the son of David. These are God's words to David way back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Those who fully understand the significance of the triumphal infantry of Palm Sunday are getting to the fact that they're realizing that Jesus is the promised one. He is the seed of David. He is the one that guarantees. He is the one who affirms salvation. See, it's easy to determine when something is aflame. That fire ignites a material. Any fire, though, that doesn't spread eventually goes out. And so there's some people in the crowd who are essentially seeing Jesus and they're looking at him and they're saying, well, we, quote unquote, believe in you, Jesus, but that's going to go out because their belief is only head knowledge. But there's other people who are going to see Jesus come. They're going to see Jesus die. They're going to see Jesus bleed. And you know what? And they're going to see him rise again from the dead. And they're going to say, this is the son of David. And the head knowledge becomes hard application. And as they see all of this progress, they realize that there is something within them that has come, and that is the kingdom of God. That the promise of the Holy Spirit is coming. The promise of, of God is, is being manifest. It's being made known. And the Bible is consistently instructing believers. And they're saying to us, and as, they, as Matthew is saying to those back in this day, he's saying, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to be proclaimers of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he did come, that he did die, that he did rise again. There is no better news than Jesus. But if that news is only in your head, if that news is only head knowledge and it hasn't affected your heart, then it does us no good. What Matthew is saying here is he's saying, my life has been radically transformed because I believed upon the name of Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. There is no higher calling than that of being an evangelist, one who proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of us may have the gift of evangelism, but we're all called to declare this message. And one way that we see a true believer in Jesus Christ is that person who is boldly, unapologetically, unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that you, my friend? Are you boldly, unapologetically, unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? It doesn't matter where you populate. It could be your workplace. It could be your home. It could be with your friends. It could be on a normal Friday night. It could be on a Sunday afternoon. It can be whenever. Are we proclaiming the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into glorious light? We as believers shouldn't be sidetracked into abandoning our highest calling, which is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we look at this text, we realize that there's disciples who are here that are doing what Jesus wants them to do. And if we are following Jesus Christ, we're disciples as well. And we have to ask ourselves the question, are our ears open to what God has in store for us? Are we being obedient to those words? Are our hearts fully surrendered to him? Or are we still finding ourselves with one foot in the world and one foot in God's word? And as we see these things come to light, 
Are we boldly proclaiming Jesus Christ? You know, the Bible says you have to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ as you see the, the day approaching. Friend, let me tell you something. God is coming back. He promised that in his word. All the other promises have come true. Why wouldn't this one come true? Jesus is coming again. Just as he ascended to the clouds, we look at it and he says, Behold, I am coming back again soon. And he's coming back for us, his believers. And Palm Sunday is a reminder of the fact that Christ came into the city. He did the work that was needed to do on the cross. But we know that he's coming back to the city. He's coming back to the world. He's coming back to take his own. And if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, guess what? He won't take you with you. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that if we reject the salvation message, if we reject coming to Jesus in faith, then we spend an eternity away from God. An eternity away from God. Do you want that, my friend? Do you want to be uh, eternally separated from the glory of God? Right now, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are living by the grace of God. But that grace will cease if you continue to reject it the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. But friend, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've come to the knowledge of God and the acceptance by repentance of your sin and accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that Jesus is coming back again soon for you and for me. And he will call us home to the glories uh, that are beyond glories, to the mansions upon mansions, to the riches upon riches. And Jesus tells us, there I prepare a place for you. In this Easter season, as we're journeying to the cross, the cross is a reminder for us not only to come to Jesus in a relationship with faith, the cross is a reminder to us that we need to continue to grow and mature in our relationship with God so that we can call people into this same relationship, so that we can build up the church. I want you to mature. God wants you to mature. As a believer, as a person who accepts, believes, and assists in the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And believers also, as disciples, mature in the relationship with Christ by becoming more and more like Jesus. My prayer for you today is that you would become more and more like Jesus. The four uh, traits or marks of Christ's disciples include ears that listen, obedient hands and feet, surrendered hearts, and words that proclaim. How are you doing in these areas? If we're struggling in these areas, what we need to do is we need to pray and seek God, seek his word, and we need to ask him for help. So God, would you help us? Would you help us to become more and more like Jesus as we see the day approaching? We look at Palm Sunday. What a glorious celebration we have here to remember that Jesus came, to remember that Jesus did a great work, but also to remember that he is coming again soon. My friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, do that today. And if you do know him, remember these truths as you continue to become more and more like Christ. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.